Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you folks. Uh, you're all over the place, different places, but we're all together with one heart, one mind. Uh, that's to draw near to the Lord this morning and to allow him to speak into our lives. So good to see you. So why don't we do something? Let's stretch first just a bit. And that always helps the body get a little loosened up so your spirit is more receptive to be able to take in what we're going to talk about. But the most important thing, uh, let's pray. And uh, let's just ask the Lord to be with us and to be uh, the illuminator of his word. Father, we just want to thank you for a brand new day uh, that we can gather as a church family, Lord, um, to be fed, to be fed spiritually from your word. And we thank you, Lord, just for Numbers 30. And I just pray, Lord, that you'd be with us as we look at it uh, and that you would take the portions uh, that you want to drive home to us individually and that you'd highlight them for us, Lord. So, Lord, we just uh, come. We come expecting to meet you. And we thank you again for the privilege of meeting in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's read through uh, Numbers 30, and then we will look at it. <clears throat> then Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes of the sons of Israel, saying, This is the word which the Lord has commanded. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Also, if a woman makes a vow to the Lord and binds herself by an obligation in her father's house, in her youth, and her father hears her vow and her obligation by which she is bound herself, and her father says nothing to her, then all her vows shall stand, and every obligation by which she has bound herself shall stand. But if her father should forbid her on the day he hears of it, none of her vows or her obligations by which she has bound herself shall stand. And the Lord will forgive her because her father has forbidden her. However, if she should marry while under her vows, or the rash statement of her lips by which she has bound herself, and her husband hears of it, and says nothing to her on the day he hears it, then her vows shall stand, and her obligations by which she has bound herself shall stand. But if on the day her husband hears of it, he forbids her, then he shall annul her vow by which she is under, and the rash statement of her lips by which she has bound herself, and the Lord will forgive her. But the vow of a widow or of a divorced woman, everything by which she has bound herself, shall stand against her. However, if she vowed in her husband's house or bound herself by an obligation with an oath, and her husband heard it, but said nothing to her and did not forbid her, then all her vows shall stand, and every obligation by which she bound herself shall stand. 
But if her husband indeed annuls them on the day he hears them, then whatever proceeds out of her lips concerning her vows or concerning the obligation of herself shall not stand. Her husband has annulled them, and the Lord will forgive her. Every vow and every binding oath to humble herself, her husband may confirm it, or her husband may annul it. But if her husband indeed says nothing to her from the day to day, then he confirms all her vows or all her obligations which are on her. He has confirmed them because he said nothing to her on the day he heard them. But if he indeed annuls them, after he has heard them, then he shall bear her guilt. These are the statutes which the Lord commanded Moses as between a man and his wife, and as between a father and his daughter, while she is in her youth in her father's house. Amen. Okay. Um, well, when I first looked at this, I thought, what are we going to do with this? And what we're talking about basically is different vows that people make, uh, and then whether those vows can be going forward or whether those vows could be rescinded. And I thought more than just centering it on this, and we'll, we'll make some statements on number 30, but I wanted to look at the whole concept in a wide range, Old Testament, New Testament look. What's the whole deal about vows? And I really have never done a lot of research on this. So I found it rather interesting uh, and we'll try to unpack it. So basically, as we're looking at an overall view of the vows, uh, I'm going to give you a number of scriptures here, and I'm not expecting you to look them up, but if you want to get a piece of paper and pencil, uh, you could jot these vows down uh, that we're going to be looking at and some other things, uh, and you'd have them there for reference. So let me just uh, pick up in an overview. Uh, Leviticus 19.12 says this, You shall not swear falsely by my name so as to profane the name of your God. So God's saying very clearly right here, you shall not swear falsely. In other words, if you swear to God that you're going to do something, you had better do it. Or if you swear to another person that you're going to do something, then it behooves you that you follow through on the words that come out of your mouth. Uh, I think probably the most overviewing statement uh, about vows is found in Deuteronomy. And again, uh, you can write these verses down. I'm just going to read them. Uh, but if you look at Deuteronomy 23, 21, uh, we hear these words. This is the Lord speaking. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for it would be sin in you, and the Lord your God will surely require it of you. However, if you refrain from making a vow, it would not be sin. You shall be careful to perform what comes out from your lips, just as you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised. So it's interesting. In the overview, God says this. When you make a vow, he said it's important that you keep the vow. Uh, and he said here, uh, if you don't, uh, it's a sin. He also said in, in verse 22, however, if you refrain from vowing, it would not be sin. So in other words, there's nothing biblically that forces us to make a vow to God or to people. So we don't have to do that. But then 
uh, he flips back again. The Lord says in 23, but you shall be careful to perform what goes out from your mouth, just as you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord. So it's voluntary. That's a choice you make, whether you want to make a vow or don't make a vow. The key is, though, if you make the vow, make sure you keep it. Uh, let me give you uh, a verse here in Ecclesiastes. This is Solomon. And Solomon, let me see if I can put my finger on it right here. Solomon in Ecclesiastes shares uh, different aspects of wisdom with people. And he says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 2. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God's in heaven, you're on the earth, therefore let your words be few. In other words, don't be hasty. Don't blurt out something. And this could be an overview, not just in vows, but anything. So often words just blow out of us. And then we say, oh, my word, I shouldn't have done that. Uh, I remember my dad saying to me once, he says, your words are almost like toothpaste. If you squeeze the toothpaste and, and the, 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 the paste comes out, you can't put it back in. So it's much better to watch carefully what we say before we say it. So he says here, don't be hasty in word or be impulsive. But then it goes a little bit more on the vows. Verse four, but when you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it. For he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow, period. And it goes a little bit better. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. So Solomon says, basically, it's better you don't say anything. But if you say something, make sure that you fall through on what you say. So a vow is basically saying something like to the Lord, Lord, I mean business. I really am serious about what I'm going to say. Lord, if, if you do this, I'll do that. It's, 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 it's in a sense trying to say to God, um, I'm not playing games with you. I'm, I'm going to pledge something to you. If you do this, if you come through this way, Lord, then I will in turn do something else. And I think that could be also a vow uh, that could also be to another person. I vow. I am going to do this for this given person. So a vow is a binding thing that a person speaks that biblically they're obligated to carry through on. So I thought, okay, let's just look at some vows in the Bible, uh, particularly the Old Testament vows, uh, that you'll see how this is played out specifically. So uh, if you go to Genesis 28, uh, there is a statement here God gives to Jacob in Genesis 28 and in let me get it here verses 13 the Lord makes this statement uh, to Jacob and behold the Lord stood above and said I am the Lord the God of your father Abraham the God of Isaac the land on which you lie I'll give it to you and to your descendants God's making a pledge your descendants shall also be like the dust of the earth. You'll spread out to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. And you and all your family shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I'm with you 
and I'll keep you wherever you go. I'll bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So God's literally making a statement to Jacob and saying, I'm going to do this. Now, what's interesting, uh, Jacob hears God and then makes a vow back to God. And this is in Genesis 28 and verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me, that will take me on this journey that I take he's, as he goes into the promised land and will give me food to eat and garments to wear. I will return to my father's house in safety. Then the Lord will be my God. And this stone, which I will have set up as a pillar, will be God's house. And of all that thou didst give me, I'll give you a tenth back. So Jacob is basically saying, God, you said you're going to do this. And I'm making a vow. If you come through on this, Lord, then you're going to be my God. Okay. Um, another vow that takes place uh, is the vow of a Nazarite. Uh, and that's found in Numbers chapter 6. Let me give you a little bit of a background here. It's when a person says, I want to consecrate myself to the Lord. In other words, I'm sold out to the Lord in, in wanting to serve him. I'm going to do a certain thing. So it says here in Numbers 6.1, again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to dedicate himself to the Lord. And this is what somebody does that makes this extra sacrifice to serve God. He shall abstain from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar, whether made from wine or strong drink. Neither shall he drink any grape juice, nor eat fresh or dried grapes. All the days of his separation, he shall not eat anything that's produced by the grape vine, from the seeds even to the skin. All the days of the vow, of separation, no razor shall pass over his head. He shall be holy until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall let the flocks of his hair grow long. All the days of his separation, the Lord, he shall not go near a dead person. So this person, uh, Samson made, was made uh, that vow by his parents. So a Nazarite basically says, I'm not drinking any strong drink. I will not cut my hair. Uh, I'm not getting near a dead person to profane myself. Uh, you could be a Nazarite your entire life or for a certain period of time, but it's a vow that I'm going to serve God in a very specific kind of way and consecrate myself to him. Israel, the nation, made a vow to the Lord. A lot of times it seems sometimes people make vows when they're in dire circumstances. And uh, in the dire circumstances, they cry out to God and basically say, God, uh, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. Uh, so listen to this. This is in Numbers, uh, and it would be found uh, in Numbers 21, 1 to 3. When the Canaanite, the king of Arad, who lived in the Nebga, heard that Israel was coming by way of Athiam, then he fought against Israel and took some of them captive. So it looks like the Canaanite is, is beginning to win the battle, and Israel doesn't want to lose the battle. And it says this, uh, so Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, if thou wilt indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. 
and the Lord heard the voice of Israel. They delivered up the Canaanites, then they utterly destroyed them and their cities. Thus, the name of the place was Hormoth. So Israel is in a, a, a squeeze play, and they make about God, if you come through, then we'll do what you've asked to do. We'll wipe them out totally. And again, Israel did keep their vow to the Lord. Uh, this next one, you've probably heard this next vow, and it it backfired bigly. Remember, um, Solomon said, don't open your mouth rashly. Don't go making promises and making vows to God until you carefully consider what you're going to do. Jephthah, he's a judge, spoke rashly, and it really backfired on him. So Jephthah, uh, this is found in the book of Judges. He's one of the judges. And this is found in Judges 11. And that would be verse 30. Uh, the, the Ammonites are coming against Israel. Jephthah is a judge. He's overseeing the, the nation of Israel as it's beginning to form. And the enemy's coming, and Jephthah is concerned, <clears throat> excuse me, that the enemy is going to wipe them out. So Jephthah makes this vow. Uh, and you'll find that again in Judges 11.30. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If thou wilt indeed give the sons of Ammon into my hand, then it shall be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the sons of Ammon, it shall be the Lord's. And I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So Jephthah crossed over to the sons of Ammon to fight against them. And the Lord gave them into his hands. Okay, cool. God did his part. The Ammonites are wiped out. But Jephthah said, God, if, if you do that, then when I go home, whatever comes first out of my door, I'll sacrifice it to the Lord. Well, this is not a good picture. He comes home. Look at verse 34. And when Jephthah came to the house at Mitzvah, behold, his daughter was coming out to meet him with tamarines and with dancing. Now she was his one and only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came about when he saw her that he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you've brought me very low. You are among those who trouble me, for I have given my word to the Lord and I cannot take it back. He had to literally sacrifice his daughter because he was under a vow. God, if you do this, I'll do that. And he should have thought carefully like, wow, you know, when I come home, who knows what's going to come out the door? But he, he just rashly said something. So I think this importance of watch my words comes out over and over again. Another classic example, I think of this idea of vow, and I think many of us have heard this story, is the story of Hannah. Uh, if you remember Hannah, uh, basically, uh, she is not being able to have children. Uh, her husband is trying to console her. Uh, but in those days, a Hebrew, not to be able to have a child, was almost like disgraceful. Or in some cases, is looked upon, well, you must be sinning some way because God's not allowing you to get pregnant. Therefore, uh, something's messed up in your life. So Hannah wants to be able to have a child, wants to please her husband, is not happening. And she goes to the house of God in Shiloh, 
and she goes to the priest, Eli. And you see this played out in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 10. It says this, and she, Hannah, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. I mean, she is upset. And here's the, here's the statement. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thy maidservant and remember me and not forget thy maidservant, but give thy maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. So basically, Hannah's saying to the priest, if God does this, if he gives me a son, I'm going to dedicate him to be a, a Nazarite. You see, in other words, not having his hair cut. I'm going to give him back to God. He's not going to be in my home. He's going to be serving God in the temple. If you read the story in between, guess what? She gets pregnant, has a child. Uh, she weans the child. And if you look at verses uh, 26 to 28, uh, after that, she comes back to Shiloh, come back to Eli, and says this, Oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. Okay, God's been faithful. So I have also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he's dedicated to the Lord, and she worshiped the Lord there. She kept her vow. God, if you do this, I'll do that. Interesting. Um, another vow I came across, kind of a strange one. It's in the book of Jonah. If you remember the story of Jonah, uh, basically Jonah is told to do something. Go to Nineveh. Tell them to repent. Jonah, a Jew, does not want to go to the heathen. He doesn't want to see them repent. He wants God to send fire from heaven and blast them out. So basically, instead of doing what he's supposed to do, Jonah runs 180 degrees the opposite direction from God and from his specific task that he's to do. And he gets on a boat going the opposite direction. And as he's on the boat, it's not good because the sea now begins to be all wired up and it's it's tossing and turning god's trying to get the attention of jonah he's trying to get the attention of the people on the boat with jonah uh, and jonah says this this is in the book of jonah uh, chapter 1 verse 12 jonah says to the guys on the boat he says this pick me up throw me into the sea then the sea will become calm for you for i know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you I mean, that's saying something. Jonah is willing to say, you know, I'm the one that's guilty. I'm running for God. If you guys throw me into the sea, and I got to give him credit. I mean, he's willing to be thrown in the sea uh, to try to protect them. Uh, he says, if, if you do that, everything's going to calm down. But the, the guys don't want to do that because they don't quite know what to do with this guy. Uh, so in verse 13, it says, however, the men rode desperately to return to the land. But they could not, for the sea was becoming stronger against them. Then they called on the Lord. These are the heathen people and said, we earnestly pray, O Lord, 
do not let us perish on account of this man's life. In other words, are we perishing because this guy sinned? But then they go further and do not put innocent blood on us. In other words, if the guy's innocent and we throw him over, over the board, it's not a good pay. This is, we don't know what to do, but we're just going to kind of follow through on what he told us to do. Thou, O Lord, has done it, and we will seek to please you. Now, verse 15. So they picked up Jonah. They threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Now, here's the vow. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. I don't know what the vows are, but I'm wagering that the vows would be basically, wow, you must be God. You stopped the thing from raging the sea. We're going to serve you. We're making a vow because you are the living God. That would be what I would suspect they made. So we have all these vows. So now getting back to Numbers 30, and that's why I didn't want to spend all the time in Numbers 30, because it's pretty in your face what it's about. I wanted to give the overview of the whole idea of vows. But if you look back at uh, Numbers 30, just to give you a, a quick sketch of what is being driven home here, it says in Numbers 30, then Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes of the sons of Israel, saying, this is the word which the Lord has commanded. So this is not an option. God says, I'm making some commands here. If you're going to do certain things, then you better follow through. And he says this, if a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, I think that could be either vertically to God or to another person, he shall not violate his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. In other words, if he says something, that he needs to follow through on every specific thing that he says. And then he says some other things about uh, ladies. Also, if a woman makes a vow to the Lord, binds herself by an obligation in her father's house in her youth. So this is a young lady. She's not married. She's still under her father's authority. And her father hears her vow and her obligation by which she has bound herself. And her father says nothing to her. So the father hears the vow, doesn't correct her, just doesn't say a thing. Uh, the implication is if he doesn't say anything negative, he's saying, okay, I'm okay with the vow. If her father says nothing to her, then all her vows shall stand, and every obligation by which she has bound herself shall stand. But there's a twist if the father goes the other way. But if her father should forbid her on the day he hears of it, none of her vows or her obligations by which she has bound herself shall stand. The Lord will forgive her because her father had forbidden her. So the father has the ability to override. In that society, the father had power, in a sense, over the children. And we'll see here, a husband, in a sense, has power over the decision of a wife. Look at verse 6. Now, let's say this young girl leaves the home and gets married. However, if she should marry while under her vows or the rash statement of her lips by which she has bound herself, if her husband hears of it, if the husband realizes the vow that she had made at some point, and the husband says nothing to her on the day he hears it, then her vow shall stand. And her obligations by which she has bound herself shall stand. 
But on the day her husband hears it, he forbids her. Then he shall annul her vow, which she is under, and the rash statement of her lips by which she bound herself, and the Lord will forgive her. So the husband has the ability to override and say, you know, honey, the vow you made, I don't think it makes sense. I think it's wrong. So I'm going to negate it. And because of that, basically, the vow no longer stands. And it says the Lord will forgive her. In other words, the Lord's going to overlook it as if it didn't occur. And as we go through 9 through 16, you'll see some other very similar things uh, where the husband has the ability to override uh, the lady. So then I asked myself the question, okay, what do we do with this? Okay, this is neat. We've looked at number 30. We looked at the overview of vows in the Old Testament. We've looked at uh, some specifics on God. So, so what does this say to us? So the, the clearest thing I can come up with in the New Testament, Jesus addresses vows. If you look at Matthew chapter 5, and verse 33 to 37, pretty much here's the bottom line from the New Testament point of view. Here's Jesus saying, verse 33, chapter 5 of Matthew. Again, you've heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but you shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. That's where I very much started out with Leviticus 19.12. So the Lord quotes an Old Testament command. You shall not make false vows. You need to fulfill them. But here's what Jesus says. But I say to you. So kind of he takes what the Old Testament said and in a sense puts it more on what he feels should be done now. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes or no, no, and is of evil. I think what we need to know a little bit as I was looking this up that in the days of Jesus, an oath was only binding if God's name was in it. So if you use God's name, then it was binding. But many times the Pharisees and others would play games with it and say, well, if you make a vow um, by heaven or the throne of God, or if you make a vow by the earth or make a vow by Jerusalem uh, or by your own head, all these basically are vows that are just kind of nonsensical. You're, you're using them, but in reality, they have no power because the name of God is not in them. So what I hear Jesus is saying is basically, we should not need to make oaths in the New Testament. In other words, our word should be enough. The whole point of a vow is to double back on my, my words, I make a vow to make sure my words are what I really mean. I vow because my own word probably is not off. A vow is like 
to say, I definitely am not going to do or I'm going to do something. And Jesus said, hey, you don't need to make a vow. He's basically saying your word should be enough. Your character be, should be so sterling and so irreproachable that if you say something, everybody knows that you're going to fulfill what you say. <clears throat> so, so what's that saying to me and you? Here's where I think it's really important. And I think we need to ask the question, <clears throat> excuse me. Do we follow through on what we say? And many times, you know, people say, well, I'll do this, but they don't do it. And I, I think it can be even minor, but it can be careless. Like, you know, uh, I'll give you a ring. Let's get together. I'll call you in the next couple of months. Very general, very vague. But it's still a word you said. And if you said it, what I hear the New Testament saying is, then you need to fulfill it. I think it also means, too, uh, that we should always be truthful when we say something. We shouldn't look for loopholes and tell little white lies so that we're kind of trying to dodge the truth. So the convicting point to me, and I have to ask myself, and I'll throw it back to you, is are we rash with our words? Do we say things that we don't really mean? Words that we don't really intend to follow up on? Or is my word enough? And I, I, I would be the challenge I think that we need to all wrestle with. My word should be enough. If I say I'm going to do something, I will do it come hell or high water because my word represents who I am. It's the same with the Bible and the Lord. God, because of his own integrity, says my word is who I am. My word and myself are, are you, you can't separate them. They're a one unit. So therefore, when we look at the word of God here, it's not just it's his words. His whole character is in back of his words. If God denies his words, if God doesn't tell the truth through his words, then the whole thing falls apart. So his word represents his own integrity. Our words represent our integrity. So that's the challenge I'd give each of us. As Solomon says, don't be rash with your words. Don't just say things to say things. If you say you're going to do something, do it. And you don't need to do a vow to prove your point. Just let your word be the truth, period. That's what I hear Jesus saying. So may we all pray over that. Uh, may we be not rash with our words. May we use them to build up people, to love people, to encourage people, not to tear people down, not to malign other people's characters, uh, but to be able uh, to lift them up to the Lord in prayer and to bless them. So let's let's pray. Well, Father, we, we see a principle in the Old Testament about vows and that vows should not be made quickly or rashly. But if a vow is made, that it, it always should be fulfilled. And we just see, Lord, in the New Testament, uh, and you, you see to do that well, Lord, that you take an Old Testament and you make it even tighter, uh, even more concise. 
because you said it's not even a matter of keeping a vow, Lord. It looks like from what I hear you saying, we shouldn't even need to need a vow because our word should be as good as our honor. So, Lord, I just pray for each of us. Help us to watch the words that come out of our mouths. Help us, Lord, uh, not to rashly say things uh, that don't bring honor to you or to say things, Lord, that we're not willing to fulfill. So, Lord, just to, just search us, try us, Lord. If there's something that needs to change with our speech patterns, uh, then we pray uh, that you would show us. Because, Lord, you've said in the book of James, the hardest thing to rudder is our tongue, and it gets us in a world of trouble. So we pray, Father, you would tame the tongue and that you'd allow us, Lord, to tell the truth and to use our tongue to build up and not to tear down other people. So, Father, we thank you, and we just pray these things, Jesus, in your strong name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great day. And guess what, Mike? The sun is up. We're making progress. God bless you all. We'll see you soon.